we start with some breaking news. Josh Doxson is the primary wide receiver for Washington. Yay! We love Josh Doxson. We loved him when he played at TCU. It was utterly dominant on pace for 2,000 receiving yards. I mean, don't forget, Josh Doxson was on pace for 2,000 receiving yards at TCU before he broke his wrist. Like, that happened. He was an epic college producer. And what did he do at the NFL scouting combine? Oh, I don't know. Was just the most impressive size-speed athlete at the event with a 1036 96th percentile catch radius. <laughs> Josh Doxson is the Harpe Eagle of NFL wide receivers. So we're rooting for Josh Doxson. Always have. And I'm looking forward to Josh Doxson receiving more snaps and running more routes moving forward than Terrell Pryor. So this is not a told-you-so situation. This is just unadulterated, pure fantasy football enthusiasm. But when the news broke that Josh Doxson was drastically outsnapping Terrell Pryor, Matthew Barry from ESPN went to Twitter. Yes! He said, for those wondering about Pryor, we've been talking up Josh Doxson for many weeks. And then he followed that tweet up with, having said that, I've also preached, I've also preached patience with Terrell Pryor. So hopefully we see something from him too. <laughs> well, yes. When Matthew Berry plays checkers, he's black and red, <laughs> right? He's staking out every square on the board. Love Jamison Crowder, too. Don't forget about Jordan Reed. We talked about Jordan Reed on the show. Love Jordan Reed. Oh, and Vernon Davis. Huge penis. Yeah. Oh, Chris Thompson. He's a must-start every week. We love Chris Thompson. Yes. Are you wearing a Washington jersey? Then we love you. We've talked about you on the show many times. Love to talk you up. We won't forget about you, either. Ryan Grant. Won't forget about you. Hopefully, there's something for you, too, in this fantasy point pie that is the Washington high-volume, pass-centric offense that we love. So that was an LOL moment. Every time I have a genuine laugh-out-loud moment sitting in front of my computer, I talk about it on the show. And those two tweets from Matthew Barry, whew, pure comedy. Because that's happened to me before, where I can't keep track of my sports takes, and I end up staking out every position on the board. <laughs> Wait, I like this player and this player. I want Stephon Diggs to get all the targets, but I also love Adam Thielen. Wait, what happened? Arr! Can both of them please be productive? With Case Keenum. I don't believe Stephon Diggs will play this week. I don't want him to play. I want him to be 100% before he plays. If you are going to siphon targets away from my man Adam Thielen, you better be 100%. The Vikings play the Browns this weekend. Oh! Now, assuming Stephon Diggs does not play, that means Adam Thielen should. I don't know how the Browns will defend the Vikings passing game, but Adam Thielen should draw significant interest from Jason McCourty because Adam Thielen will be by far and away the best receiver on the field. Jason McCourty by far and away the best defensive back in that Browns secondary. If I were the Browns, I would have Jason McCourty match up one-on-one -on -one with Adam Thielen. Is that how the Browns will defend the Vikings? I don't know. What I do know is this sets up perfectly for the Laquan Treadwell breakout game. I am bracing myself for the Laquan Treadwell breakout game. And the thing is, I don't hate players 
and I'm not loyal to my sports takes. I sincerely want Laquan Treadwell to perform well. I want NFL players to succeed, particularly the skill position players, because they accrue fantasy points. I want fantasy points to accrue across the board. I want as many productive assets in the fantasy football player pool as possible. That includes Laquan Treadwell. And I'm actually buying Laquan Treadwell right now. I have either traded for or picked up Laquan Treadwell across multiple dynasty leagues in the last couple months because I want as many assets on this Vikings offense, which I think will be ascending in the years ahead because I'm a believer in Teddy Bridgewater. But I keep hearing that Teddy Bridgewater isn't good, that Teddy Bridgewater's stats in his first and second year in the NFL indicate that he's doomed. NFL stardom is not in Teddy Bridgewater's range of outcomes. Why? Because he was not a prolific producer at age 22 and age 23. That's the new standard. If you're not epic at age 22 and age 23, well, we'll just dismiss you. No problem. Since Odell Beckham Jr. showed us it was possible to break out and become a WR1 as a rookie, we no longer have to give players the benefit of the doubt. We're no longer allowing players to fail. We're no longer putting players in context. This is what happened with Josh Doxson. Because I'm reading my timeline, I'm seeing that Josh Doxson is a sloppy route runner, and he has bad hands. So I've seen Josh Doxson perform incredibly well at the catch point. Very strong player at the catch point. That's Josh Doxson. That was his signature trait at TCU. Strength at the catch point. So we know that about Josh Doxson. He can go up and get it. So get out of here. Criticizing Josh Doxson's strength at the catch point. And I believe he is a precise route runner because he can leverage his 1092 agility score. He's 6'2 and runs a 1092 agility score. There are very few wide receivers in the NFL that stand 6'2 that run a sub 11 flat agility score. Josh Doxson is one of them. That helps him run precise routes for someone his size with his explosiveness. It's why it's so exciting. Why are you dismissing Josh Doxson? Because he hasn't produced big numbers yet? He's been healthy for seven games. He's 24 years old. He's in his second year learning the position at the NFL level. A little early to be dismissive of that player, particularly a player with a 38.6% college dominator. That's 75th percentile. And someone who led his college offense in receiving touchdowns as a true freshman at Wyoming. That's why Josh Doxson's breakout age on playerprofiler.com is a shocking 18.8 because he was such an old rookie. You think of Josh Doxson as being one of these Kelvin Benjamin, Martavis Bryant old breakouts. He's not that. He's not that at all. Josh Doxson was a precocious and prolific producer, as was Teddy Bridgewater. Yet in his one full season in the NFL, with only 447 pass attempts, Teddy Bridgewater aw, couldn't throw for more than 14 touchdowns and 3,200 yards. Aww. Except that a 7.23 yards per attempt for a second-year quarterback is not bad. And 14 touchdowns on only 447 attempts isn't awful for a second-year quarterback. When discussing Teddy Bridgewater, it's important to put him in context. In 2015, the Minnesota Vikings were running the Adrian Peterson offense, and they were protecting their second-year quarterback. Their second-year quarterback, who, by the way, only turned the ball over 14 times in 16 games. 
This was a second-year player. He did the thing that his coaches asked him to do above all else, protect the football. That's what Teddy Bridgewater did. The prolific passing numbers, the yards and the touchdowns, that will come. How many years was Tom Brady operating as a game manager before he was finally unlocked? It's just this year, just this year, that Russell Wilson has been unlocked. That Seattle has finally unleashed him and said, okay, we're finally going to skew our play calling pass heavy so that you can finish in the top 10 in pass attempts for the first time in your career. Because he's been outside the top 15 in pass attempts each and every year. Why? Because the Seattle Seahawks chose to implement a run-first approach. They wanted to win with a running game and defense. That's how the Seattle Seahawks were wired. Running the ball and playing defense was part of the Seahawks' schematic DNA. And it took a seismic flameout in 2016 and the least effective running game in the NFL in 2017 to finally convince Seattle coaches that the optimal pass-to-run ratio is mostly pass, not so many runs. And now Russell Wilson is trending toward top fantasy football quarterback. I think in a couple games, he will pass Tom Brady and be the number one quarterback in fantasy football. I talked about this two years ago with Kevin Cole from Rotoviz, and we're going to have him on again soon to revisit the discussion. I was a little early calling Russell Wilson the best quarterback in fantasy football precisely a year and a half, 18 months too early, but it's finally happening. Why? Because... Russell Wilson possesses the raw material and now has been awarded an optimal play calling philosophy to fully unleash his potential on the NFL because his ceiling is 25 fantasy points per game. 2015 Cam Newton, that's Russell Wilson's ceiling. He'll never run for 10 touchdowns, but he'll be a more efficient thrower than Cam Newton ever was. It takes time for a player to develop his own skill set and for the external forces to click into place that allow him to ascend to QB1 status in fantasy. And it's important to review players in context, particularly a player like Teddy Bridgewater. Why? Because Teddy Bridgewater was an exceptional quarterback prospect at Louisville. 83.9, 87th percentile total QBR. And he broke out at a very early age, 18.8, 97th percentile. The breakout age was the glimmer of hope on the Jared Goff profile. We love the quarterbacks that broke out at a very early age. Teddy Bridgewater is simply good at football. He knows how to play the position. It's intuitive for him. That's what you love about Teddy Bridgewater. And you know that if he's put in a situation where the supporting cast is strong, like it is in Minnesota with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen and Kyle Rudolph and maybe Laquan Treadwell, maybe, we'll see. But now, hopefully, now that he's fully flamed out and cratered, because this is always a value conversation, now I'm in on Laquan Treadwell. Now I want Laquan Treadwell to succeed. Now I feel like Laquan Treadwell offers great value in fantasy football, particularly dynasty leagues, because you just want a piece of this Vikings offense. I think with Teddy Bridgewater, it will be both efficient and productive. I think the productivity will come because the play calling will be balanced moving forward. It will not be the Adrian Peterson offense. And that matters. And I'm excited to see what Laquan Treadwell can do this week. Because we could look back a year from now and Laquan Treadwell is the 2018 version of Nelson Aguilar. Because for some reason, the fantasy football world has decided players only get two years to prove themselves. 
even after Devontae Adams broke out in year three, after he was the least efficient wide receiver in the league for his first two seasons, and then Nelson Aguilar is doing the exact same thing. The exact same thing. He was the least efficient wide receiver in the NFL from 2015 to 2016. And now, at this very moment, Laquan Treadwell is the most efficient wide. Nelson Aguilar is the most efficient wide receiver in the NFL. It's true. Now, I understand he's scoring an inordinate number of touchdowns. It's unsustainable for a player with 35 targets to score five touchdowns. That's one touchdown every seven targets. No one can keep that up, not even Des Bryant. But a player like Nelson Aguilar can parlay a very efficient season, partly driven by random chance, into more opportunity in future games, which will allow him to sustain that production. I absolutely think that Nelson Aguilar is a 12-plus fantasy points per game wide receiver moving forward because I expect the target share to rise even as the touchdown conversion ratio declines, as it naturally will. But this week, all eyes will be on Laquan Treadwell. And another ESPN fantasy personality, Mike Clay, tweeted something about Laquan Treadwell last week. He wrote, With Stephon Diggs out in week seven, the time is yours, Laquan Treadwell. The time is yours. I don't know what that means. The time is yours. Did he expect Laquan Treadwell to break out? in week seven and that was a veiled tout of some kind i don't know the last time i read a tweet reading the time is yours comma space player name was from mike clay in relation to cody latimer because cody latimer was the next man up on the depth chart at some point and cody latimer is not good so i'm not sure what mike clay was telling us there was he telling us that he has access to depth charts just in case we don't because you should check out the playerprofiler.com depth charts. Click on the menu option at the top when you go on any player page. Click on depth charts. We update the depth charts constantly, every week. They're updated based on the team's official depth charts. And if the team's official depth charts are not updated frequently enough, we will update them further based on SnapShare data. So we have the freshest, most accurate depth chart data on the planet, and it includes cornerback data. So you can see who will likely be matching up with who every week. And it looks like Laquan Treadwell will see a lot of Jamar Taylor. <laughs> Get ready! Get ready! This could be the week! The time is yours, Laquan Treadwell! I believe... Now, if I'm going to talk the talk, I'm going to walk the walk. So I believe Laquan Treadwell will exceed expectations this week. I can promise you on the playerprofiler.com weekly player rankings that are released every Thursday morning. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Laquan Treadwell will be ranked higher than consensus because I believe Laquan Treadwell will shred this week because he's a starting receiver playing the Browns. And sometimes it's just that simple. So how can you take advantage of this? Well, go to Draft. Get the Draft app on your phone. Just go to the App Store, type in Draft. Draft helps support this show. So we should go out and support Draft because it's a new way to play Daily Fantasy. It's a one-week fantasy league where you either join an existing league or you invite 11 of your friends to join you in a one-week fantasy league. Rosters are created via Snake Draft. Everyone's lineup is unique. No overlapping players. It's the best. And when you sign up, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get free entry into your first contest with a deposit of $10 or more. Now, some backstory. Last night, 
I talked to Pat Corain from Rotoviz Radio on this show. He's the host of Rotoviz Radio, a key member of the Rotoviz team. And I believe that Pat Corain has the best pure radio personality at Rotoviz. He sounds great on the radio. So I wanted to sound even better than Pat Corain, knowing the audience would have this juxtaposition. The problem is my microphone malfunctioned and my audio was distorted for the entire interview. I mean, I don't sound horrible, but for the first time in show history, before an interview even begins, I am providing an excuse on the front end. Because when you listen to Pat Grain, he clearly sounds much better than I do. And I wanted nothing more than to sound better than Pat Grain. It's heartbreaking. Oh, listen for yourself. Here is my conversation with Pat Corain from Rotoviz Radio. Follow him at Pat K E R R A N E on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Pat Corain. Pat Corain, the host of Rotoviz Radio. Pat, talk to me. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. I did the extra. Road of his radio, Pat, talk to me into the extra radio guy voice, just because you also have a radio voice, and I wanted to one-up your radio voice right out of the gate. Matt, you're not going to be able to up my radio voice. You have a very good radio voice. I've told you this many times. You have an impressive radio voice, but I, I wanted to launch myself into this show with a radio voice that just boomed out into the universe in a way, like a sonic boom yeah. that would end all debate that might be in anyone's mind at the beginning of the show, who has the better radio voice. I wanted to end the debate before it even started with my show opening, with my introduction. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think I think you did a pretty good job. <laughs> good job. Good job, yes. Yes, wow. So that that's the best way right there. The best way to counteract and neutralize a booming radio voice is to belittle it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, probably one of the more effective ways. Yes. So there's a lot to talk about. I can't remember a week where I had more to talk about than this particular week. Every team has interesting storylines and narratives, and there are a lot of players that are either disappointing on one end of the spectrum or exceeding expectations on the other end of the spectrum. We have some players that are surprising us more than we could have possibly imagined, just dumbfounding production, and in some cases efficiency. With Nelson Aguilar, for example, he went from being the least efficient wide receiver for two consecutive mm -hmm. seasons. Now, this year, he's the most efficient wide receiver, according to playerprofiler.com. He's number two in both production premium and target premium. No one's that efficient. I can't believe he's the most efficient wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, this is one of the shock stats of the season, Nelson Aguilar, the most efficient wide receiver. Of all the receivers, I think if you asked me who the least efficient wide receiver would be, Nelson Aguilar would have been one of the first five wide receivers I listed. And now to see him as the number one most efficient wide receiver, it's just 
stunning. It's crazy. It's shocking, befuddling, bewildering. That's the season. It's why I have so many questions. Are you worried about Jarek McKinnon? No, I'm not worried about Jarek McKinnon. I mean, Murray, you're talking about efficiency. Latavius Murray just had a super efficient game. He had 6.3 yards per a carry. Game. But we... It was a game. A game. A game. But we... Congratulations, Murray. You had a game. A game. One game. Um, and... Uh, you know, McKinnon was out-touched by him by one touch. Murray touch. was not targeted. A touch. Congratulations, touch. Latavius Murray. You had a touch more than Jarek McKinnon. <laughs> a touch in a game. And no targets. And no targets. So McKinnon has a total lock on this passing down work. Um, McKinnon has been the more efficient player for the season. Uh, Murray was basically run out of Oakland because he wasn't efficient behind a very good line. This isn't something I don't think to worry about too much. I mean... There's there's variance in football. This is uh, an example of that. Uh, I would keep Ryan McKinnon. The Minnesota Vikings were grinding clock in the fourth quarter because they had a two-score lead throughout the fourth quarter until the Ravens scored a late touchdown. So if you have a two-score lead in the fourth quarter, you're going to pound your grinder between the tackles, and that's what the Minnesota Vikings did. You only play the Ravens once unless you're in the AFC North. <laughs> so the Vikings won't be playing the Ravens anymore. And because they will not be quote the Raven anymore, <laughs> they will likely not yeah. be enjoying double digit fourth quarter leads and therefore Latavius Murray will spend significantly more time on the bench with Jarek McKinnon spending significantly more time on the field in the weeks ahead. I agree with you. I am not worried. I will never be worried about Jarek McKinnon, my one true love. <laughs> Is it juju time in Pittsburgh? Uh, I think it's uh, it's Antonio Brown time, just like it always is Antonio Brown time. Uh, Martavis Bryant produced next to Brown, but he was incredibly efficient. I don't really buy that Juju's going to replicate that. Um, I know, you know, you're excited, Matt, that Juju's taking the field, pushing Martavis Bryant off of it. But I think that's as much to do with him being a head case as anything. So uh, not to say that Juju's a bad player or, you know, uh, not. I think he's a, a was a solid prospect, but. I think um, the volume's going to go to Brown there, and it's going to go to Bell. Uh, so I don't necessarily see Juju coming in and having a ton of success in redraft. And I feel like if there's a ton of excitement around him in Dynasty right now, maybe it'd be a, a good time to get out for uh, maybe a, a future first if you can do that. Blasphemy! You would not do that. He's 20 years old. He's an efficient 20-year-old wide receiver. That's impressive. You don't want to trade... Juju Smith-Schuster right now in Dynasty. However, you also can't start him in redraft leagues either. Shock stat for you. Okay. Hit me. Juju Smith-Schuster logged his lowest snap share of the season, 44% last week. Everyone's talking about Juju Smith-Schuster emerging, usurping Martavis Bryant. That's not what happened. Darius Hayward Bay was getting snaps in place of Martavis Bryant. Eli Rogers is getting snaps. Juju Smith-Schuster is part of a rotation. He's part of a rotation, and he's yet to exceed four targets in a game. Until he exceeds four targets in a game, I'm not going to go out and submit overweighted free agent bid on Juju Smith-Schuster. That's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I love Juju Smith-Schuster in Dynasty in particular, but he's 20 years old. He's going to have one of these 20-year-old seasons where he has a couple zeros and he has a couple weeks where he scores a touchdown and, and puts up 15 points. You're going to see that. 
and that's fine, and that's it. And that's not a guy you're starting on an every week basis. You're looking for a guy like Nelson Aguilar, whose snaps have been rising consistently throughout the season, who is not just merely beneficent like Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, it is impressive. It's impressive. Juju Smith-Schuster plus 42% target premium at 7th in the league, plus 26.9% production premium, 14th in the league. So when you look at Juju Smith-Schuster producing above expectation across the NFL and above expectation on his own team, that's incredibly impressive. 8.9 yards per target. It's top 30. It's impressive. It is. And he's scoring when getting opportunities in the red zone. All impressive. I get it. But he's not getting enough targets. A 10.7% target share for Juju Smith-Schuster is 95th in the NFL. That's not high enough. Nelson Aguilar, on the other hand, is a key cog in one of the NFL's signature prolific offenses, the Philadelphia Eagles, where Carson Wentz is throwing for three to four touchdowns every week. Carson Wentz is a superior quarterback to Ben Roethlisberger. There's more volume in Philadelphia. So I'm more interested in a slot receiver, a number three receiver on a team like Philadelphia than I am in Pittsburgh with a 20-year-old Juju Smith-Schuster. But do you expect any of that stuff to really change going forward with Smith-Schuster? I mean, we've got Roethlisberger struggling this year. No, it won't because he's 20. Because he's 20. That's why he's 20, Pat. See, the thing is, he's 20. Here's the thing with Juju Smith-Schuster. He's 20. If they trade Martavis Bryant, guess what's going to happen? You think Juju's snap share is going to spike to 95%? No. They're going to play Darius Hayward Bay. You know it. You know it. I know it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Why? Because we know Martavis Bryant plays the Darius Hayward Bay inefficient field stretcher position. I mean, that's the position that Martavis Bryant plays. Darius Hayward Bay invented that position. He invented that role. He'll go back to that role once Martavis Bryant's gone. So it's a fallacy that Juju Smith-Schuster will erupt and have a, an opportunity boon post-Martavis Bryant trade. So I disagree with that position, and I'm not out here chasing Juju Smith-Schuster yeah. in seasonal leagues, but I do very much want to own Juju Smith-Schuster in Dynasty. The problem is, even in Dynasty, he'll always be a number two option in a passing game that's becoming less and less efficient as Ben Roethlisberger declines rapidly with age. I love Juju Smith-Schuster in a vacuum. So if someone offered you a first right now, you're turning that down? I can't believe that a 20-year-old is this efficient at the NFL level. I can't believe an 18-year-old put up 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns at USC. That's one of the reasons why I think Juju Smith-Schuster is so impressive, and I've always rooted for him because he was such a dominant collegiate receiver. But this is actually a very bad position for Juju Smith-Schuster to be in, a place where he could never ascend to the number one wide receiver chair with a quarterback who's in rapid decline. That's not... A guy that I'm necessarily running out and trading for in Dynasty, but I'm not dismissing him either. I'm not trading him away for picks either. That's not the way to go. Well, you and I talked off air about this running back class and how excited you are about this running back class. You would not trade Juju Smith-Schuster for a future first-round pick, given that he... He went for like an early second round pick this year. No, no, because the wide receiver class this year looks horrific. Well, you don't have to replace him with a wide receiver. You can take a running back in the mid first. And unless I'm guaranteed a top three pick, 
and I know Darius Geis is coming out, then no, no, no way, no way. I'm excited about this running back class. I'm. You laid out the case perfectly. I am enthusiastic about the ceiling that this running back class will present. Yeah. I think there's a lot of exceptional athletes in this running back class. I think there's a lot of mega producers in this running back class, like Royce Freeman. There's a lot of guys, but they're not Juju Smith-Schuster level valuation for me. I'm very excited about the entire first round of running backs. I think there's 12 running backs I can get excited about potentially in the first round in this class. It's very deep with running back talent. Very exciting. This class will be what we wanted the 2017 class to be at the running back position. It absolutely will be, and that's exciting. But trading away Juju Smith-Schuster for a pick outside the top three, not happening. Not happening. Anytime you can lock in a career wide receiver, too, with declining quarterback play, you got to do it. Things can change. I, I don't know. I, the idea that I get to have Juju Smith-Schuster for the next 10 years is exciting to me. And the fact that he's already firing at the NFL level is exciting to me. There's enough promise shown by Juju Smith-Schuster in a vacuum, not focusing on his situation, just focusing on the player, that I would have to at least get Nick Chubb in return if I were trading Juju Smith-Schuster for a 2018 pick. I think this is as as excited as people are going to be about him for a little while. So this is as good a sell opportunity as I think you'll get. It is a sell opportunity. It is. I agree with you. It's a sell opportunity for Juju Smith-Schuster. I can't believe you just talked me into it. I talked you into talking you into it. You started talking me into it, and then I finished it (laughs) off by talking myself into it. Yeah, exactly. So which team should trade for Martavis Bryant? I feel like the Saints should trade for Martavis Bryant. Yes. They love vertical roots. They love to incorporate vertical roots. They love to spread the ball around. Uh, you know, they're getting Ted Ginn involved right now. Martavis Bryant, he, you know, he's a lot of things, but he's better than Ted Ginn for sure. He's absolutely better than Ted Ginn. Absolutely. He's better in every way than Ted Ginn. He's just a bigger, faster, stronger Ted Ginn. I mean, that's exactly what Martavis Bryant is. If you hit Ted Ginn with one of those enlargement ray guns <laughs> and he became twice his normal size, he would be Martavis Bryant. That's right. Yeah. So here's the, here's the problem with this, Matt. Bryant would make it about two weeks living in New Orleans before he suspended again. Oh, 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 damn it. <laughs> Gotta pull that out, Bart Davis. All right. <laughs> Speaking of upside, what is Josh Doxon ceiling the rest of the season? I mean, it, it's kind of uncertain. Uh, yes, we, we know that. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm asking you to speculate on what his ceiling could be in a full-time role, Pat. Well, that's, but I mean that in a good way, right? It's like he's he's just a great admiral right now because he's, I don't know, he, he could he could be like a wide receiver too. Yes. And it, the rest of the way. Thank you. Yes, I think that's his ceiling. I think you've hit on his ceiling. His ceiling is high-end, WR2 the rest of the way. But that's a bit of a trick because a lot of wide receivers are falling by the wayside, including <laughs> sure. Terrell Pryor himself. Right. But as the Jordy Nelsons and the T.Y. Hiltons fall by the wayside because they lost their quarterbacks for the season, a player like Josh Doxson can rise up and fill that void. But it is always a fun trick at this point in the season to say this guy looks like a WR2 when already the WR2s like Tariq Hill and Doug Baldwin and Keenan Allen are now de facto WR1s because Odell Beckham Jr. is no longer with us. Right. 
But I think Doxson could could put together a three, four week run where he's putting up like 14 points per game in PPR. And that could really help you in the playoffs. Like that's I think that's the ceiling. Yeah, he plays in a high volume offense, right? If he's starting in a high volume offense and he has college dominance and exceptional yeah. athleticism, one of the biggest wingspans of any wide receiver, one of the largest catch radii of any wide receiver in the NFL, that's Josh Doxson. You put Josh Doxson on a team that needs red zone weapons more than almost any other team. Kirk Cousins was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league in the red zone last season. You add Josh Doxson, so it's no surprise they want to get Josh Doxson snaps. Of course they do. They see Josh Doxson every day. He strides into the facility every day. He sits down in the cafeteria and has lunch with these coaches every day. They look over and they go, we really got to get that guy the ball. You think? Yes. Play him snaps. And they're playing him snaps. That's exciting. Just look at the catch radius. Look at the college dominator. Look at the snap share. Push the button on Josh Doxson as a key cog in the Washington offense. Yeah, and I think the biggest point that... Which, again, last week, another three-touchdown performance from Kirk Cousins. I think the biggest point that you hit on there is that the coaches really want to get him involved. That's huge. They they want him to be the number one wide receiver, and you know he's he passed Terrell Pryor this week. I think is Pryor droppable now? I think Pryor's droppable. Yeah. Yeah, Pryor's absolutely droppable. I think the reason why Terrell Pryor has flamed out as a wide receiver is the same reason he flamed out as a quarterback. I think there's a missing piece in Terrell Pryor's information processing. I mean, I've heard rumors about his inability to pick up the playbook quickly. Mm-hmm. And that was the indictment. That was the great indictment of Trell Pryor as a quarterback, that he just was not able to go through his read progressions. It was one read and then run. It was read and run, read and run, read and run. And NFL coaches could not get him wired in a way that he would play the quarterback position at all effectively so that he had to change to another position. Because I think he would have been great as a quarterback. I think he had the raw material to be one of the NFL's most exciting quarterbacks. Sure. The mobility. You have a quarterback with far inferior raw material in Tyrod Taylor, and Tyrod Taylor is able to thrive in a situation where he has no receivers in Buffalo, and yet he's been very efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over. He does the things NFL coaches want out of their West Coast quarterbacks. Terrell Pryor was never able to execute the way Tyrod Taylor has been able to execute, and now as a wide receiver, he wasn't able to execute the routes. The catch rate last year was low. It was blamed on Cleveland quarterbacks, but it may have been Terrell Pryor's fault all along, running the wrong routes at the wrong times and not executing even on run plays, not blocking the right guy, just not understanding what his assignment is in any given play and not executing some of the basic tasks that you're assigned by the coaches. That's how, that's how you become an enemy of the coaching staff. It's this constant frustration that you create. And then, and then you give off this attitude of disinterested. It's one thing if you're Jay Cutler. You can give off disinterested <laughs> guy attitude. And you have a track record of... That's the Jay Cutler default. NFL production spanning 10 years, spanning a decade. Terrell Pryor doesn't have that. He signed a $5 million one-year contract with Washington. That's a prove-it deal. And what he proved was... 
that he wasn't able to do the little things the coaches ask of him and execute in big games when called upon and when that happens over and over and over again for whatever the reason because of an inability to process information on the fly because of an inability to catch a ball in traffic Whatever the reason is, he was failing over and over and over and over again. And now it's week seven. The Washington coaches have given him numerous opportunities. He continues to fail them and fail his teammates. And so there should be no surprise when Josh Doxson usurps him and becomes a starting X receiver for the Washington team. Totally agree. But this is still my best guess. I mean, I don't know what the hell happened to Terrell Pryor. You know, I, I, I do not know what happened. And there's a bunch of highly athletic wide receivers across the league that come in and out of the league, and they're just not able to put it together on the football field, and he happens to be one of those players. But you also have a situation where he's a free agent wide receiver coming in, new quarterback, new system, and they have a guy, Josh Doxson, who they're eager to see. So I think the the leash was short, right? They they took out Pryor um, deservedly. He was not playing well. But you could see a situation where there isn't a Josh Doxson pushing him for playing time where Pryor was able to figure this out, given a full season, maybe given a season and a half. I think he couldn't figure out the quarterback position after numerous years. And I think after numerous years at the wide receiver position, he hasn't been able to figure it out because he's just not good at football. There is a cerebral aspect to playing the position that is just not in the Terrell Pryor skill set. Has an NFL star been born in Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I mean, he looks great in this offense. I was concerned about his arm strength coming out. Um, Rotodoc had a had a quarterback model for Rotoviz that you know uh, identified the uh, miles per hour measured arm strength as a as a key component in quarterback evaluation. And Watson struggled in that, which was a big red flag. But like just watching him play, his deep ball does not look like a concern at all especially when he gets a running start. Right. The problem with the throw velocity is we have less than 100 quarterbacks in the database with a registered throw velocity. Rotodoc, Nick Giffen, and myself both fell into a small sample trap. The law mm-hmm. of small numbers jumped up and bit us! Ow! Yeah, I think that might happen. I mean, That's the law of small numbers. Ow! Leave it! Stop it! Law of small numbers is a pesty little guy, but he's always lingering around. you got to be careful. That law of small numbers can get you, and that's what got me with Deshaun Watson. We just don't have enough data on throw velocities to draw significant conclusions, but I did that, and I'm trending wrong, but I still want to see more. I want to see more. He's not the best quarterback in the league, according to the fantasy points per game, according to the counting stats. I think he's outside the top 10, but I want to see. I want to see what he is. I'm excited to see what he is. It's fun to have one of these savant quarterbacks get dropped into the league. We always want good, functional pieces and assets for fantasy football. So the more talented players, the merrier for me. Yeah, and I've been a fan of Bill O'Brien in terms of, like, I felt like if he had an actual good quarterback, then, you know, his his offense would be really good. And so I, I feel like this is a great fit. Uh, with Watson in this offense, I think that O'Brien will be able to take pretty close to full advantage of this guy's talents. And then, uh, you know, in addition to that, Watson's wide receiver weapons are pretty great. I think Fuller is an underrated player. Hopkins is a terrific player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Watson's going to regress some. Like you mentioned, he's not going to finish as the, the top quarterback. He's not the best quarterback in the league. But Not with Russell Wilson lingering out there. Russell Wilson looks like the best quarterback in the league. Russell Wilson has been fully unlocked. I'm excited about that. 
But when I look at Bill O'Brien, mm-hmm. I always get a little nervous when I see a man with a dimpled chin <laughs> or a butt chin. I, I get a, a butterfly in my stomach. <laughs> I always think that whenever I see Tom Brady or any man in person or on the television with one of these dimpled chins. I didn't know you were a chin guy, Matt. Totally. (laughs) And when I see that butt chin, because I'm just wondering what's in there. I mean, how far does the butt chin go with Bill O'Brien? It's more of a curiosity. (laughs) With Tom Brady, it's more of a swoon. Either way. Wait, so to be clear, you think Tom Brady is more handsome than Bill O'Brien? That's a bit of a hot take, I think. Right, right. Well, I I think that Bill O'Brien is helped by the chin. Every man (laughs) is, and I'm jealous of it. I really wish I had one of those dimpled chins. That dimpled chin commands respect, and I want respect! Aaron Jones deserves our respect. Has Aaron Jones Wally pipped Ty Montgomery? Yes, he has. Um, Flatly. Yes. Yes. I mean... To be honest, like once once I like saw Jones in action, it's it just didn't it feel inevitable that he was always going to take this job? Like I, there's so much random stuff that happens in an NFL season. You like feel like if you played it out a hundred times, like how much of this stuff would actually happen? But Jones becoming the Packers starter just feels like one of those things that was going to happen like pretty much every time. He, it feels like inevitability, much like Josh Doxson supplanting Terrell Pryor. Why Terrell Pryor was new to the wide receiver position in the last two years. Ty Montgomery never looked the part, never passed the eye test of a true NFL workhorse because he's new to the position in the last couple years. Same with C.J. Proceis, who is new to the running back position in the last couple years. These running backs just don't look the part. The coaches sense it. And when a running back comes along who's making those confident, devastating cuts and rolling up those extra yards and taking advantage of the creases and crevices that the offensive line is providing, there's no going back. Yeah. And he provides some passing game uh, uh, versatility as well. It's not like he, it's not like uh, Montgomery just got passed by Jamal Williams, who's a strictly two down guy. And, you know, Montgomery gets to, to play the clear receiving workload here. I mean, Jones can be a workhorse. Uh, I, it's not, I don't think Montgomery will go away completely, but Jones is a versatile running back, not a, not an offensive weapon like I think Montgomery kind of turned out to be. What about Joe Mixon? Will he eventually break out at some point in the season? Will Joe Mixon have a breakout game in 2017? I mean, he could break out this week if the coaches feed him. Uh, he's got the Colts. Like, this could be a huge game for him. This if- is it, right? This is it. I thought last week was it, but no, 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 this week. No, 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 this week is it. <laughs> Well, he had 10 touches last week. Like, how's he going to break? He had 68 Ugh. yards. What do, what do you want him to do? I mean, Ugh. he's he's producing when it with what he gets. It's just they're not they're not feeding him, you know. If and this could be a week where they could theoretically they could give him a lot of work, but I for whatever reason they just don't seem to want to do that. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't. But this is the week. <laughs> this is the week. This. This is this. the week. Not last week. Last week was last week. This week is this week. It's breaking news. Should run the breaking news. Last week is last week, and this week, Pat, this week is this week, okay? Okay? You heard it here first. Yeah, right? I mean, right? So Aaron Jones has been a pleasant surprise, clearly. Sure. Which player has been the most pleasant surprise for you this season? You're going to yell at me because this one's just like too obvious, but it's Kareem Hunt for me. I mean, just watching him. It is. 
is, right? But that's fine. That's fine. It can be a clear choice. Yes. Kareem Hunt is the clear choice. He is so fun to watch. The way he sets guys up to dive at his feet. Why not just pick the player that's the no-brainer, clear choice? I didn't realize it, but this question actually has a correct answer. I mean, the way he avoids tackles at his feet, it reminds me of like a matador or something. The way he just like pulls his feet away right as the guy's diving at it. And, and, and he just has such a clear style to the way he runs. The same way that Le- Le'Veon Bell has that, like his style is so clear. Kareem Hunt's style isn't like Le'Veon Bell's style, but they both have such a distinct style. And it's just so fun to watch Hunt. And I just think at this point, like he he is legit to me. I mean, there's not like obviously the Hunt is going to redress as well, just given how outstanding he's been. But, you know, he is a legit three down workhorse running back, I think. And he can be the engine of an offense. You know, he's kind of proven that already. It's it's been really fun to watch. So which player has been the biggest disappointment and or player that just pissed you off this year? Yeah, it's Amari Cooper. (gasps) Did you bench him last week? Yeah, so last week, obviously, huge game. But even then, he probably could have had 300 yards if he if he caught everything thrown his way. You know, he still left stuff on the table last week. He left uh, some touchdowns on the table in week one, and then he's been invisible um, in the interim weeks. I mean, Cooper has been a disappointment to me because I really felt like going into the year, this guy was just uh, on a path to become, like, the best wide receiver in the league. Uh, I, I've been kind of forced to come off that now, even with the big game that he just had, he, he really just has not looked like that kind of future, like clear cut best wide receiver guy that I kind of thought he was developing into given his early career success and given his uh, prospect profile. I'm not saying I'm giving up on Cooper. I got, I own Cooper and dynasty. I got the low ball offers for him. I got the Derrick Henry straight up for Amari Cooper offers. I didn't take them. Good. Good for you. Good for you. Good boy. Good boy. Yeah. Good boy. So I'm not giving up on him, but it's just it's been disappointing because I thought this, you know, he was he was going to be ascending and he has not been ascending. Yeah. This was supposed to be the year. Right. The ascension year. It has not come to fruition. By the way, checking in on Juju Smith-Schuster on Twitter. Are you familiar with a Mia Khalifa? Mm-hmm. I am. I am. She is a porn star turned sports media personality the dc sports girl that's her new pseudonym (laughs) she tweeted juju smith schuster you are my new favorite follow on twitter at team juju juju responds oh hell nah i'm not falling for this shit lol i'm young 20 years old by the way i added that i'm young not stupid (laughs) laughing crying emoji laughing crying emoji laughing crying emoji so is that 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 maturity beyond uh his years that you're looking for matt okay i'm changing my opinion on juju smith schuster he's absolutely a buy-in dynasty (laughs) get him at all costs I didn't know uh, Mia Khalifa was trying to acquire Juju Smith-Schuster. She is, yes. She's already traded her first rounder for him. I think she's traded two big first rounders for him. Yeah, she's certainly trying to. Do you get that? Big first rounders, get it? Yeah. (laughs) Same pitch. Why don't NFL teams feed their satellite backs like Washington feeds Thompson? Answer me this. Just I mean, I I don't know. I feel like, you know, bad coaches are bad, so then they uh they want to run the ball to uh to shorten the games, you know? So if you're not inclined to feed your satellite backs, you're losing and you want the game to be over more quickly. 
I mean, I'm thinking the Jeff Fishers of the world running when they're down. The Patriots are speeding up the game. Hell, even the Seattle Seahawks have finally learned to speed up the game, and they have a great defense. The competent coaches are speeding up the game. And the incompetent ones are slowing it down. Look at the Bears. And feeding their playmakers. Deion Lewis is well under 200 pounds, and he's leading the New England backfield in running back touches. Same with Chris Thompson. The competent coaches are feeding their satellite backs. The incompetent ones are not. Yep. Who is the most underutilized satellite back? Look across the NFL. Who needs more touches? Well, I think it's interesting because I feel like Jalen Richard needs some more touches, and he could get them this week. And this week. Yeah. So you have Richard over DeAndre Washington this week. I do. I think I'm more interested in Richard than Washington, just given what I've seen so far. I'm not sure how the workload will break out, but I feel like I would like to see what Richard could do if given like starters level touches. That's that's the guy I actually am more interested in than Washington. I don't know in terms of Well, Oakland really tipped their hand to us. Heading into week eight last week, DeAndre Washington, nine carries. Jalen Richard, nine carries. DeAndre Washington, four targets. Jalen Richard, four targets. So thanks, Oakland. Thanks for giving us a clue as to how your opportunity share will be allocated this week for the running back position. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But you're right. Jalen Richard, thus far, as an NFL running back, has been the more efficient producer and has been more active in the passing game. Right. And he's been really efficient. 5 5.5 yards per carry, 8.5 yards per reception. He's seen just 7 touches per game, so you know, to go to the point of a guy who needs more involvement. And so I feel like this could be a real audition for him. I mean, he could he should probably be their starter, not even just that's why I picked him as the most underused guy because it's like like a Tariq Cohen should be more involved. He's only got 7 targets over the last 3 weeks. Uh, he had seven targets per game before that, um, and he's been super efficient. He's athletic. They should be getting him the ball, but I don't think he should be the starter necessarily, whereas Richard probably should be. So I would really like to see Yeah, Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington are very similar prospects, both similar size, similar college dominators, both with the high college target share. But Jalen Richard had an 18.4% college target share. I mean, his college target share was in line with with wide receiver target shares. Like, what? Yeah. He is an exceptional pass catcher. He could be one of the league's most dynamic satellite backs. He reminds me a lot of Theo Riddick. Mm -hmm. A bigger Theo Riddick. And a bigger Theo Riddick needs to be fed and fed and fed. I mean, if you have a big Theo Riddick, you just give him the ball over and over and over. Over again. But that, and that's the difference, right? You know that quote? You're familiar with that quote? I actually have heard what what is that from? Marshawn Lynch. Oh right. Speaking with Sports right. Illustrated's John Wertheim. Right. I it rang a bell, but I couldn't place it. Um one day it just clicked in my mind. <laughs> if you just over and over and over again, motherfuckers don't want that. They can't take that. Just gotta hit them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. They ain't going to want that. That's the quote. Okay. I'll play it, too. I can play it on the show. I can play the audio. Yeah, no, I have the audio. I, I follow you, yeah. That's when it just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over 
and over and over and over and over and over again. They're just not going to want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face. Then you don't have to worry about them no more. The difference between big theoretic and small theoretic is that small theoretic runs for like 2.5 yards per carry and big theoretic is run for 5.5 yards per carry. So I I think your point is dead on about him being a theoretic in the the passing game, but he has the potential to be an actual like three down running back here and in a way that doesn't suck. So yeah, he's 207, but he's only 5'8". So his BMI is 31.5 at 79th percentile. He has the sturdiness to be an early down back as well as a satellite back. Primary back! He could be a primary back. Absolutely. If Ty Montgomery can do it, why not Jalen Richard? Absolutely. Now, what about Austin Ekelar? Is he intriguing? Well, Matt, you came on my show and... uh... And told me about Austin Eckler, so I can't come on your show and say he's not intriguing. I mean, you're the Austin Eckler guy. I can't, I can't come on and, and say he's not intriguing on the Austin Eckler guy's podcast. Are you a believer now? You finally believe I, me? I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, look, Pat, I'm intrigued. He had seven uh, rushes last week. He, uh, he had 5.4 yards per carry. You know that that could be intriguing to the, the coaching staff saying, okay, we got maybe this dude can can run a little bit. Run a little bit. Yeah, no. He runs a 4.4840. Yeah. He has a 132.9, 94th percentile burst score. I mean, there are very few running backs in the league that are 80th percentile across the board, 40-time burst score and agility. And he was a dominant college running back. And this guy's impressive. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing here is that there's not really much else on uh, the team besides Gordon. So if Gordon goes down, then Eckler could be really, really intriguing here. I, I think he's... He commanded a 33% opportunity share last week. Mm-hmm. The Chargers decided they want Austin Eckler in the game in passing situations. Like, that happened. Yeah, and he's very under the radar right now. This throttles Melvin Gordon's future fantasy forecast, not significantly, but moderately. It absolutely does. Yeah. It pushes down his ceiling. I had Melvin Gordon's ceiling as top three fantasy running back because of the emergence of Austin Eckler in passing situations. That potential is gone. It's crazy. He went to Western State. That sounds like a fake school. It does sound like a fake school. I mean, what? Right? I mean... Where is Western State? I don't know. I don't know. And we talked about Theo Riddick. Yeah. Theo Riddick is not fast. Jalen Richard is not fast. But Jalen Richard and Theo Riddick play fast. That's the difference. According to the measurements, they are not explosive, but they play fast. Is this what's going on with Mark Ingram? Because Mark Ingram is an outlier. I mean, how is he this good? Yeah, I guess I don't know that he is that good. Like, he's been tied to a Hall of Fame quarterback his entire career. He's perennially in a committee. He was like, the coaches were thinking, we got to get the corpse of Adrian Peterson in here to compete with this guy. He, you know, he's always had, there's always basically been three running backs there. Pierre Thomas involved with, you know, uh, Travars Cadet was getting time at points. Darren Sproles, obviously. Uh, Chris Ivory was getting work. Uh, Tim Hightower was getting work. It's like Ingram's never even been able to. It's not just that there's a passing down back there, which there always is, and there is again in Kamara. It's that there's usually, except this year might be the only exception where there isn't another early down back competing with Ingram. So I, I just he's never been able to consolidate the full workload uh, on a team where he should be even better than he is, given how good that offense has been. You know, they have the potential, especially at home, to blow teams out. He's never really been this 
true fantasy difference maker. I feel like he's just been in a really good situation. They could, the Saints could move off of him after this year. They probably won't, um, but he's a free agent after that, and I feel like he has the potential to just become a nothing. He's secured a new contract this year. That's what he's accomplished. He has yeah. a 99.6 Spark X score on playerprofiler.com. That's 13th percentile. We talked about Austin Ekelar being 80th percentile across the board and the workout metrics that matter. Well, Mark Ingram is below the 15th percentile in both burst and agility. What my expectation would be is that they try to bring in someone else. Here's my problem with Mark Ingram. He's not elusive. He has a 9% juke rate. Yeah. That's league bottom. He's not making anybody miss. On the year, the year, he has 11 total evaded tackles. Le'Veon Bell has more than that in a game. Yeah. So, no, in a vacuum, I don't think Mark Ingram is this exceptional outlier talent. I think his production is situation-based. I agree with you. And it's a great situation. I mean, I think he's just proof that... I mean, it's an amazing situation. You should target running backs in amazing situations. Yeah. I mean, it's the best situation. It's it's not breaking news. Don't play the, the breaking news drop here, but... The other player that we've already talked about that's in an exceptional situation is Nelson Aguilar. It's hard to find a wide receiver in a better situation tethered to Carson Wentz, especially in Dynasty. I mean, Nelson Aguilar's Dynasty value went from close to zero to now top 30 wide receiver because he's intertwined with Carson Wentz for the long term. That's incredibly exciting. Is Nelson Aguilar the Eagles' number one wide receiver now? Yeah, so uh, I co-own a high-stakes team with uh, Peter Overzet of Fantasyland, and he's been kind of joking around that Aguilar was going to replace Odell Beckham on our team, who obviously went down with injury. But I, I started to get the sense that he's not actually kidding anymore. Love it. You own Nelson Aguilar in high stakes. Congratulations, man. Good job. Good job. Way to cancel out the noise. Love it. Great work. We drafted him. We drafted him in like the 15th, 16th round or something. Um, but anyway, no, I don't think he's the number one wide receiver for, for the Eagles. No? No, he's got 19 less targets than Jeffrey on the year. He was out-targeted by Jeffrey in each of the last two games. He's yet to have more than 100 yards. He's yet to post more than 10, even 10 targets. Uh, obviously, not more than 10 targets in any games. He's scored five touchdowns in seven games. And I think, you know, that is what is driving his value right now. Touchdowns, though, are hard to predict and they're volatile. And I think you should avoid getting sucked in on touchdowns. I don't think I mean, in Dynasty, the the resurgence of his value is amazing. And he is tied to Wentz long term and he's going to stick around. And who knows what's going to go on with Jeffrey, because I believe they signed him to a one year contract. So in Dynasty, he may be the long term number one wide receiver. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. You know what's exciting? Carson Wentz, 232 pass attempts on the season. Yeah. That is exciting. 33 deep ball attempts on the season. That it's great. is exciting. The great thing about Carson Wentz, though, my favorite thing about Carson Wentz, not only does he have the 33 deep balls, he also has 21 danger plays on playerprofiler.com, <laughs> which is any play in which the quarterback... Puts the football in a position where it could be turned over. <laughs> so he's just degaffing. Yeah. He's the next evolution NFL gunslinger, and I love it. Yeah, it's been great. But I do think in redraft, Aguilar might be a bit of a sell right now. Um, just given the TD production, which I think will fall off, and the lack of yardage and targets, which are really what we want 
particular, you know, and redraft in particular, since we don't get the benefit of being tied to Wentz long term, would would you be looking to sell Aguilar in redraft? I do not trade players heading into heavy bye weeks where they don't have a bye week, as well as great matchups. Mm-hmm. I wait for that player to face a difficult matchup and then trade him. I'm not trading Nelson Aguilar this week before they face the 49ers. Absolutely not. I have bye weeks to deal with, and I have Nelson Aguilar teed up against the 49ers. <laughs> no, I'm not trading him this week. Absolutely not. Maybe next week. Sure. Why not? See, that's a great point. But he's drawing Kawan Williams in the slot. Kawan Williams allows close to two fantasy points per target. Yeah. He is outside the top 100 cornerbacks on the playerprofiler.com cornerback rankings. Go there. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. See the best cornerback rankings in the business. <laughs> Keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling until you get to Quan Williams. You want to play Nelson Aguilar in the slot against Quan Williams this week. Get him active. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. Um, Don't trade him now. It never makes sense to me why you would trade a wide receiver or any player heading into an attractive matchup. Makes no sense. That part, I totally agree. I think the bye week thing, though, people are desperate sometimes with the bye weeks, particularly if they're already weak at that position. And this is when you could maximize a player's value during one of those heavy bye weeks. Okay, Pat. Okay, you got me. You have someone with all their wide receivers on bye, and they're willing to pay 200% of Nelson Aguilar's going rate at this particular moment. And not only that, you, for whatever reason, have a surplus of wide receivers on your bench that you can insert instead of Nelson Aguilar this week, then fine. Then fine. Go ahead. You have Mohamed Sanu on your bench? Okay, fine. Mohamed Sanu draws Buster Scrine this week, who received the always dubious, quote-unquote, vote of confidence from his coach. So yes, you want to play Mohamed Sanu against Buster Scrine this week, Buster Scrine's on thin ice. He looks like he's been skating on tube socks this season. So I'm sliding Sanu into my lineup this week. Get it? See that? Sliding. <laughs> I, yeah, nice. See that? Very nice. Yeah. So if I have Mohamed Sanu and I can put him in instead of Nelson Aguilar, then I can trade Nelson Aguilar for $2 on the dollar, then yes, Pat. Yes. Yes. In that situation, I would trade Nelson Aguilar this week. You got me. Congratulations. Yeah, well, you say it like it's crazy, but this is when you can get overvalue on guys in redraft. When people don't normally like look to trade a lot in redraft, but when they're freaking out because they have six buys and they didn't plan for right. it, then you can go shop your wide receivers right. to And them. then you're going to get pissed when he has six catches catches for 92 yards and a touchdown all right all right the matchup part i'm not arguing with i think that's a great point if you trade nelson aguilar this week you will regret it is that like advice or a threat (laughs) i would love to threaten joe flacco (laughs) yeah he's he's the worst right now throw the ball to michael campanaro or else i mean michael campanaro he should send some guys to joe flacco's house hey (laughs) Hey, Mr. Flacco, I'm here from Mr. Campanaro. Mr. Campanaro wants the targets. You send the targets. And that is a threat. A fake threat on a podcast where I'm doing a funny Italian accent, which I can do because I come from Italian heritage. Flacco's the worst right now. He's, he's, yeah. Is he 2016 Jared Goff bad right now? Yes. Yes, absolutely he is. <laughs> he's, what do you Fucking mean? Guy. I know, it's, it's, it's stupefyingly bad. 
watching Joe Flacco play, you lose brain cells. Yes. What about Russell Wilson, though? I mean, we can agree. He's been unlocked, finally, right? Seattle's finally realized, okay, it's time to just let Russell Wilson throw the ball. We're going to skew pass heavy moving forward. They finally decided that, right? Like, that's... Let's hope, man. Let's hope. It's happening. Russell Wilson is happening. It's happening, right? Happening? Yeah, Matt, you're, you've been talking about matchups here. These are the next four home games for Seattle. Houston, Washington, Atlanta, and Philly. <gasps> All four of those could be massive shootouts. <laughs> yes! Yes! And even the road games, they're at Arizona and at San Francisco. Like Those are easy games, but you're on the road. Maybe the defense struggles a little bit, and they throw a little bit more than, than you think. So, I mean, this, this next slate, six games here... It could be it could be lights out here for uh, Russell Wilson. Could be lights out. They could be blowing the doors off a of team. The Russell Wilson yeah. cyborg. He is part man, part machine. He's been part man, part machine going all the way back to 2014. He's been an efficient runner and an efficient thrower. The only missing piece has been the volume. And only when yep. great volume meets great efficiency do the best quarterbacks become fantasy folklore. They become the number one quarterback in fantasy football. That's Russell Wilson's ceiling. It's number one quarterback in fantasy football. Yes, and it could be this next little stretch. It's also another rhetorical trick because we have very few quarterbacks posting even 20 fantasy points per game this year. So it's a low bar for Russell Wilson to become the number one fantasy quarterback this year. But he's trending in that direction. We can agree, right? It's happening. I really hope it's happening because that's what they need to do. Like This team, I feel like, would just be a lot better if they just... We're like, we're going to smash teams with, with Russell Wilson. Like, you're just not going to be able to keep up with us. And our defense isn't what it used to be, but it's good enough that if we just say we're going to outpace you, you're not going to be able to keep up. I thought the only way that Russell Wilson could be fully unlocked is if the defense imploded. But the defense is not imploded. It's degraded. It's just not otherworldly. Yeah. But it's still good. It's still good. It's a combination of a degraded defense and a non-existent running game. So when the running game is eviscerated and the defense is at least degraded, you put those two things together, that can convince the coaches to turn the dial on Russell Wilson up to 40 pass attempts per game. That's what they're doing, Pat. And I think that's what you want. Yes, you want that. If you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, that's the philosophy that you should be hoping the Seattle Seahawks coaches implement. That's optimal. Right, right. It is, this is better than if the defense imploded because you don't want Wilson having to be throw throwing all this volume just to catch up and, and forcing throws. You want them to still be winning these games, him being in control of the game, but you want the coaches going into that game knowing, okay, we can't just run the clock out here, control the game, and win with our defense. We're going to actually have to win by scoring points and plan to do that from the start and then execute it. I mean, look at this season versus previous seasons. More pass attempts, more deep shots, more red zone chances. I mean, Wilson has gone over 25 fantasy points in three out of the last four games, Pat. Yes! Houston and Washington at home next, Matt. It's going to be good. 2017 will be the first year that Russell Wilson finishes in the top half of the NFL in pass attempts. It's, a, it's crazy. Every other year, he's been in the bottom half of the league in pass attempts. This is how you unleash 
Russell Wilson. And fantasy gamers are benefiting from it. Thank you. Thank you, Seattle coaches. Thank you, Russell Wilson. He'll score more fantasy points this year than Drew Brees. Is it time to deal Drew Brees? Is Drew Brees in decline? I mean, yeah, Drew Brees is in decline to some extent, but I would not be trading Drew Brees coming off of a bad road game. Um, He's home for the next two weeks. He's got a really nice matchup in two weeks against the Buccaneers. That's the only good matchup he has in the next six weeks. So sell him after that. Yes, you're learning! Exactly! That was a trick! I tried to trap you, Pat. You see the trap? I laid the trap down, right? I laid the trap down for you, and you sidestepped it deftly. Great job! Yes, you wait until Drew Brees posts 450 yards and five touchdowns against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then you trade him! Yes. Is Tyrod Taylor the most underrated quarterback in the NFL? I mean, he kind of has to be, given that his coaching staff keeps trying to get rid of him every preseason. I mean, right? he's... Uh, he's but look what he's doing he's... with zero weaponry. Yeah, it's bad. When we see what Alex Smith is doing with Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Albert Wilson. And... So I, I host a road of his podcast, so I'm required to maintain the, the line that... Uh, Jordan Matthews is actually good and will eventually prove that. He's been hurt. He's been hurt, and now he's playing with a strange cast glove thing Yeah, that's not effective. But I was not a fan of Zay Jones coming out, and he has been hot garbage, and there's really there's nothing else there. Yeah, Jordan Matthews is not effective right now for a variety of reasons, and that's fine. For the long term, I still like Jordan Matthews as a buy low in Dynasty. I'm mm-hmm. Team Rotoviz in that regard. That's fine. But as of now, right now, like now now, this season, what Tyrod Taylor is doing is mind-bending. I mean, how is he doing this? He only has two interceptions this year. He only has eight total danger plays, only two total interceptable passes on the season. I mean, all that they would ask of him is, let us win the game with our defense and be exceptionally careful and efficient. And he's executing that as good as you could possibly hope for. And when it's time to go get a first down, he's finding ways to convert first downs. And he has no receivers. None. Zay Jones is the least efficient wide receiver in the history of the NFL. That's according (laughs) to Graham Barfield. Graham Barfield needs to get credit on this podcast for finding this historical stat on Zay Jones. No receiver with Zay Jones' target share at this point in the season has ever had a catch rate lower than Zay Jones has right now. Those are the receivers that Tyrod Taylor has been bequeathed. I mean, he gets Deontay Thompson, and that is like water for a man lost in the desert. I mean, Deontay Thompson. Yeah. Deontay Thompson was like a like a fountain of production for Tyrod Taylor. That's amazing to me. The Deontay Thompson. Tyrod Taylor saw Deontay Thompson. It was like, oh, this is I can work with this. Oh, I can work with this. <laughs> Oh man, it is bad. It's really bad. He has nothing to work with, and he's and he's still producing. I love him. He's so goddamn underrated, Pat. I didn't know you were dropping L bombs. Earlier you said Jarek McKinnon was your one true love. Now you're dropping L bombs with Taylor. Eh, what if what if McKinnon finds out about this? Oh, L bombs, love him. Yeah, I do. I do. I yeah yeah. Uh, hmm. Jarek McKinnon. That is a one true love. Little love triangle here. And Tyrod Taylor is a little more lust there. <laughs> okay. All right. If either one of them had a dimple chin, then oh my God. 
Oh, man. Are you ready for the Laquan Treadwell Week 8 breakout, by the way? Yeah. Uh, is Laquan Treadwell ready for this? I'm ready for Stephon Diggs to come back. That's what I'm ready for. He's not coming uh, back. I would love if he came back for this uh, this London game. I assume he won't be. He should not come back. They're flying to London. They have a bye in Week 9. It's completely irrational for the coaches to activate him this week, so I expect the coaches to activate him this week. It's just so juicy. Like... Such a good matchup, man. Such a good matchup. Such a good matchup. Laquan Treadwell could have a productive week eight in our faces. (laughs) I'm bracing for it. I mean, I am bracing for it. I am holding onto the desk, bracing for the Laquan Treadwell breakout game in the absence of Stephon Diggs. And it won't matter because you can't Wally Pip Stephon Diggs. But it could buoy Laquan Treadwell's dynasty stock. It could allow a lot of dynasty drones to have a, to enjoy a told you so week eight, to bask in the glory of being right one time <laughs> in the last 25 weeks. Yes, a broken clock is absolutely right twice a day. That would be the Laquan Treadwell six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown in week eight. The broken clock game. So that's the name of the show, right? Laquan Treadwell, broken clock. Is that a good name? It's a pretty good name. What about Bill O'Brien butt chin? Yeah, see, that's a little crude. I think I've done a couple of those already. <laughs> the crude, rude. Yeah. So who's more fucked right now? Larry Fitzgerald or Jordy Nelson? They're both pretty fucked. Um, I think Fitz is more fucked just because we've seen him with bad quarterback play and it's pretty gross. I uh, went to the road of his game splits app um, looking at since 2013, which, you know, is when uh, Palmer came over. Fitz has averaged 15.8 PPR points with Palmer. Uh, he's averaged 9.7 without. Um, obviously, he was also without Palmer for a few years there, and it was it was pretty gross then, too. Jordy Nelson, meanwhile, has averaged 18 PPR points with Rodgers since 2011, which is uh, 2011 was basically when Jordy truly came on the scene, and 14 PPR points without, uh, including his 2.3 points last week. But the thing is that that includes that one giant game that he had with Matt Flynn, where he had like 44 points, Jordy did. When I was reviewing the Jordy Nelson splits, I did not include that game. Yeah. Because if you include that game... It throws it all off. It taints the sample. No, you look at the year 2013... And it's the same as Fitz. It's like... He's essentially just as fucked as Larry Fitzgerald with Drew Stanton. Yeah. But I think the thing is that Jordy has been better than Fitz when things have been good. And I think he's a better wide receiver than Fitz is right now. And he can he can still make big plays. Really? Yeah, I do. I disagree. I think that Larry Fitzgerald is better than Jordy Nelson because Jordy Nelson has been tethered to Aaron Rodgers. We don't know how good Jordy Nelson is. Yeah. We yeah. really don't. Jordy Nelson has been a touchdown wonderkin his entire career tethered to Aaron Rodgers. But without Aaron Rodgers, I don't know what he is. I really don't. I wish I did. I can't detangle the player from the quarterback. Larry Fitzgerald is a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. If I were starting a franchise today for all time, Sure. Larry Fitzgerald would be one of my first picks. I would not be considering Jordy Nelson. Right, yeah. I don't know what he is without Aaron Rodgers. As a career player, I agree with you, but... It's one thing to produce with Carson Palmer. It's another thing to produce with Aaron Rodgers. You have to almost try to not produce if your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think um, the difference for me is I think Fitz has just declined 
you can tell he's not quite the same wide receiver that he was at his prime. And Jordy looks like he's still in his prime. But I've been hearing from Mike Clay on Twitter that NFL teams are using their number one corner to shadow Devontae Adams, which is a signal that NFL defensive coordinators view Devontae Adams as the true number one wide receiver on the Green Bay Packers. Do you agree with that? That's a really interesting point. That hadn't been my perception of the situation, but I'm not going to argue with Mike Clay about corners shadowing. So, Who would argue with Mike Clay? We know that Marshawn Lattimore shadowed Devontae Adams, but that could just be where Jordy Nelson chose to line up. Well, there's two things at play here. A, Jordy Nelson has been lining up in the slot more. And B, defenses sometimes bracket the number one wide receiver. The best wide receiver, yeah. With their number two corner and a safety over the top and assign their quote-unquote number one cornerback to the number two wide receiver. Right as a way to optimize their defensive resources, you see teams doing this with Julio Jones. Right. So Mike Clay is climbing up a logic ladder, one too many rungs, straight up into a fallacy, where, yes, it's true that cornerback X did shadow Devontae Adams more than he shadowed Jordy Nelson in a particular game, but that does not necessarily mean that the defensive coordinators view Devontae Adams as a better receiver than Jordy Nelson. Yeah. I'm not ready to make that logical leap. Yeah, I'm not really either. I think... But I don't work at ESPN. Yeah. And my thing is, I don't think Adams really gets open very well. And I feel like Adams doesn't get open very well. And that's something that I think with Roger, I mean, talk about being tethered to Rodgers. Like, that's something you can get away with when you have Aaron Rodgers. Because he can fit the ball into tight spaces and he'll make that throw. He trusts his arm. He trusts his accuracy. Jordy Nelson, I think, isn't quite as reliant on that. He can get more open than Adams. And I think with a different quarterback, you know, he uh, can still put up big plays just by getting getting open down the field. He can have a couple big games. I think Jordy's going to be super inconsistent. Like he's, he's you're going to feel shitty about about starting him every single time you do it. But I think he can still throw up some big weeks. I really worry about Fitz. I, I wonder, like, Fitz has been pretty touchdown dependent too recently over the last few years. And I don't know that he's going to be able to support big catch totals with Stanton. And I don't think the offense is going to be good enough to to really give him much touchdown opportunity. So it's kind of like I think both these dudes are, are pretty fucked. But that's that's why I kind of lean Jordy here is, is slightly less fucked. We have a new metric on player profiler, target separation, yards of separation at target gained by the receiver vis-a-vis the assigned cornerback. Jordy Nelson's target separation is slightly more distance than Devontae Adams, and both Devontae Adams and Larry Fitzgerald are gaining slightly more separation than Larry Fitzgerald. Just to put some metrics behind what you're saying. Given that metric, I'm probably taking a point and overemphasizing the difference, but I guess the biggest thing for me is like, I don't know. I guess Hundley, I don't know for sure that he sucks. He, he looked like he sucks, but Stanton sucks. We know this to be the case, that Jordy Nelson is much stronger at the catch point. That's the difference. Yeah. Jordy Nelson has much stronger hands. He's a much more efficient receiver. He's much stronger at the catch point than Devontae Adams. That's the difference between those two players. I mean, that's the difference. That's why Jordy Nelson is the number one wide receiver, not Devontae Adams. They have similar athleticism. They have similar route running prowess at this point in their respective careers. The difference is that on any given 50-50 ball, you have much more confidence in Jordy Nelson. That's the difference to me. Yeah. Now, who has the most upside for the cost in GPPs this week? 
I think it's Doug Baldwin. He's sixty nine hundred on DK. I play mostly on DK, so that's that's what I'm going to be talking to. But um, you're not instilling me with much confidence. I think it's Doug Baldwin. Yeah. So I guess I said that because he's 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 not like some super cheap guy. You know, most upside for the cost, like super upside, inexpensive, super cheap guy, way cheap, way at the bottom, lots of upside, right. gonna be a starter, free square wide receiver, sexy, sexy, yeah, cha 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 cha. That's not Doug Baldwin. It's not Doug Baldwin. So that's kind of where that tone comes from. But he's 6,900, which is way underpriced. He's coming off a 12-target game, and he could be in a massive shootout in Houston. We just talked about how Russell Wilson could be truly unlocked here. This could be in a home game against Houston where Baldwin just blows up. It's exciting. It's exciting. Who's your best value high-floor cash game lock? Uh, Chris Thompson. Uh, 5,800 on DraftKings. Cash games. Yeah, I like him in cash this week. He's had... You chase opportunity in cash games. Chris Thompson yeah. doesn't score a touchdown last week. It's a dud. It's a 10-point game. But I guess that's where the floor is, right? That's the floor. 10 points. Right. And he has he's had at least five targets in five of six games. In five of six games, he's had at least five targets in every home game. He's gone over 50 scrimmage yards in five of six games. Gone over 100 scrimmage yards in three of six and two of three home games. So I do feel like he's, he's, he's a safe guy here and at 5800 he kind of isn't gonna isn't gonna uh crush your salary so i like him a lot the other guy in terms of uh if you if you're not buying my thompson take Doxon is you know potentially the free square wide receiver um with as cheap as he is i believe 3800 and and uh you know the starting x wide receiver on a team that likes to pass that's also a, a really nice kind of high floor that was the correct answer that yeah. was the washington player i was hoping you would say yes now, final question. I'll get you out of here on this. Which under-the-radar player will shock the world this week? Shocking! A shocking breakout, Pat. So I'm actually wondering if this could be the, the week that uh, Mitchell Trubisky does something. He's got... Oh, you're close. You're so close to saying the right guy. You're so close. You're on the right team. Go a little deeper. Go go a little deeper. I know who you want me to say. I know who you want me to say. Come on, Pat. Go. I know who you want me to say. Those targets will be going to... <laughs> it will be going to... The ball will flutter out there, and it will be caught by... I believe you're talking about Trey McBride. No, you're talking about Tanner Gentry. I know who you want me to say. Yeah! But... Let's just talk about Mitch Trubisky here, because I think he could throw for like 300 yards and a couple touchdowns, and that would be pretty shocking. What like Tanner Gentry has had how many receptions on the year? One. It could be a dual purpose answer. You could say Trubisky and Gentry. Trubisky to Trey McBride. That's the stack of the week. <laughs> I like Trey McBride, but I love Tanner Gentry. Have you seen these pictures of Tanner Gentry? He is jacked. He is absolutely jacked. Hashtag process. Tanner Gentry looks like you put Cole Beasley with the upper percentile burst score and Cooper Cup, the six foot, 205 pound small school white wide receiver in a particle acceleration chamber. And then boom, out would step the most explosive, whitest wide receiver of all time. He's got like a, a 2% dimple percentage though, man. His, his dimple percentiles is real low yeah he doesn't have the chin dimple which is unfortunate but what is fortunate is that he was an explosive college mega producer 44.8 percent dominator rating 89th percentile and he leads all bears receivers in snaps and routes the last two weeks and guess what new orleans opponents in the superdome average 35 pass attempts per game 
Yep, yep. So uh, there you go. Trubisky to, to Gentry. Is it Gentry or Gentry? I don't know. We have to end on something that resembles or crescendo. We can't have this show end with you asking me how to pronounce Gentry versus Gentry. Is it Deontay Foreman or Dante Foreman? We can't do this, Pat. We have to end on some semblance of a crescendo. Come on, Pat. All right. Mitchell Trubisky to Tanner Gentry! Mitchell Trubisky to Tanner Gentry! (laughs) Here's that radio voice, buddy. That's it. That's it. Hey, Trubisky, you better throw that ball to Gentry. Or Gentry, don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, you better throw that ball to him. Or uh, we're going to get you. You hear that, man? You hear that, Mitchell? We're going to get you. Trying to be a Chicago gangster. It's a really bad accent. At the FFPC in Las Vegas, did I say nothing else other than do not draft Odell Beckham Jr. in the first round? Did I not say that to you? Joe, I'm going to do this favor for you. I'll make sure the Ravens never sign Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) But I may ask for a favor in return, and that day may never come. But when that day comes, I will ask you to throw the ball to a Michael Campanaro. Over and over and over again. I didn't know you were a chin guy, Matt. Because I'm just wondering what's in there. I mean, how far does the butt chin go with Bill O'Brien? It's more of a curiosity. With Tom Brady, it's more of a swoon. Wait, so to be clear, you think Tom Brady is more handsome than Bill O'Brien? That's a, that's a bit of a hot take, I think. That dimpled chin commands respect. And I want Respect! He's the next evolution NFL gunslinger, and I love it. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's been great. We were like, should we go heavy on Jones, like like 450? And then the news by the time right before waivers ran seemed like Montgomery was potentially playing and Williams was going to play. So we were like, let's back that down. I think we backed it down to like three low 300s, but we didn't bump up the McKinnon bid. That's what happened to me. I did the exact same thing. I, I blundered in the exact same fashion as you. I should have realized, okay, if there's a seismic injury, that's when these guys are going to go nuts. With, with the Dalvin Cook injury... You had to know that Murray and McKinnon were both going to go for a lot. Nick Chubb is a generational running back. Saquon Barkley is a generational running back. And there's all these other running backs that look amazing that are going to shred the combine because in their high school spark camps, they were exceptional. So you have a lot of these guys, Kalen Balage, you have a ton of running backs. And we don't know if Geis is going to come out. Geis may or may not come out. Says publicly he's not, but doesn't mean anything. They should all come out. If you're a running back, you should come out. You don't know if these guys are coming out or not. You just don't know. You should definitely come out. Guys should come out. If Geis comes out, then you have three exceptional running backs at the top. That's all I care about. I don't care about the wide receivers. We don't know these wide receivers. Okay, Pat. Okay, you got me. Then yes, Pat. Yes. Yes, in that situation, I would trade Nelson Aguilar this week. You got me. Congratulations. 
If you trade Nelson Aguilar this week, you will regret it. Is that like advice or a threat? In that Georgia backfield, there's also Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle, in his own right, is excellent. So this just in just in the Georgia backfield alone, you have two awesome running backs. Sony Michelle's averaging 7.2 yards a carry. The other year Chubb was hurt, he had over a thousand yards and 26 receptions that year. So Sony Michelle is off the chains. Then you have one of the most productive backs in the history of college football. Royce Freeman, you know, he's not necessarily super athletic, but he's already close to a thousand yards and already has double-digit touchdowns. Remember, Kareem Hunt was not a front-page prospect. Neither was Aaron Jones. We haven't even unearthed these guys yet. So what I'm saying is this is going to be a very, very, very deep class. Ito Smith already has 24 receptions. Corlin Sutton, but he's not even the most productive receiver on his team. Trey Quinn is that those targets will be going to it will be going to the ball will flutter out there and it will be caught by you started talking me into it and then I finished it off by talking myself into it it's completely irrational for the coaches to activate him this week so I expect the coaches to activate him this week I am holding onto the desk bracing for the Laquan Treadwell breakout game man it's really hard it's, did you see how much I struggled there, Pat? Yeah, I thought you had a missing chip there for a second, Matt. I went on for five minutes talking about Terrell Pryor, thinking of every possible way to say it without saying it, because I didn't want to say, he's fucking dumb. You know, I couldn't say that. I don't want to say that. That's going in the outtakes. I wanted to think of every possible way I can say, he's dumb, without saying it. And I thought I did it. I tried to be eloquent, even though it was a stop and start situation. So I apologize to you for all the stopping and starting, because I don't want this to be a crude podcast where I just say this motherfucker's stupid. Yeah, but he might not be dumb. I mean, he's trying to learn wide receiver at, like, what, he started trying to learn wide receiver at 26 or something. So, it, like, what you're saying is that he is he's not processing it well enough. But, like, if I tried to learn how to play drums at an elite level right now, like, I've dicked around on a drum set a couple times. Like, That's why it's not fair to call him dumb. That's why... The prodigy guitar players start playing guitar at age 10, and if you pick up guitar at age 24, you'll never be what that 10-year-old was, ever. You can practice for 10 hours a day, you'll never be what that 10-year-old guitar player was, because you started too late. You just started too late, and the brain has already been hardwired. That boy was playing guitar while the brain was in the process of getting wired up. Whereas your brain's already wired at 24. Like you can play all you want, but it's never going to become truly intuitive. And it's even worse than that because at least with guitar, let's say you start at 24 and you work your ass off, you might be pretty good by the time you're like 44. But if you do that at wide receiver, you start learning at 24. When you're 44, you're still going to suck. Terrell Pryor will be one of the best wide receivers in the league at age 45. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's the law of small numbers. Ow! Leave it. Stop it. Law of small numbers is a pesty bitch. Is a pet? No, I don't want to say bitch. That's like not. You can't say bitch anymore. He went to Western State. That sounds like a fake school. It does sound like a fake school. He is absolutely jacked. Hashtag process. Boom! Out would step the most explosive, whitest wide receiver of all time.
Would you say he secured a new contract? Why do you feel that way? He's got one year left where they basically don't have any guaranteed money. So why wouldn't they make him play that year out and see what, what he gives them? I, I thought you said he was going to be a free agent. No, no, he's a free agent after. So they could cut him next year and save like $4 million, And then he's a free agent. Oh, 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 oh. Well, I just, dude, I just make shit up. I, didn't, I don't know anything. I was just making that up based on what you said. I don't know his contract thing. I have Mark Ingram's contract committed to memory. You think I'm Rain Man? I'm here from Mr. Campanaro. Mr. Campanaro wants the targets. You send the targets. Tyrod Taylor saw Deontay Thompson. It was like, oh, this is, I can work with this. Oh, I can work with this. I didn't know you were dropping L-bombs. Earlier you said Jarek McKinnon was your one true love. Now you're dropping L-bombs with Taylor. If either one of them had a dimple chin, then oh my god. Are you ready for the Laquan Treadwell Week 8 breakout, by the way? Yeah, uh... Yeah, uh... Yeah, uh... Yes, a broken clock is absolutely right once a day. Twice a day. I almost said once a day twice a day a broken clock is right twice a day is that right is that a, is that a thing people say it is a thing people say oh 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 dagger gonna pull that out Bart davis he went to western state that sounds like a fake school it does sound like a fake school you have to almost try to not produce if your quarterback is aaron Rodgers. Doug Baldwin? Sexy, sexy, yeah. That's not Doug Baldwin. It's not Doug Baldwin. Terrell Pryor will be one of the best wide receivers in the league at age 45. It is a thing people say.